Attack of the Final Girls is a podcast about the horror genre, so listener discretion is advised. Please check the show notes for specific content warnings for this episode, and of course, beware of spoilers. Welcome to episode 16 of Attack of the Final Girls. I'm Teresa. And I'm Juliet. And we're here to give you your bi-weekly dose of horror discussion. With 50% more snot because it is allergy season in Ohio. So just, I'm just going to like say that up front. It's allergy season in Ohio. We live in the like, last time I checked, third worst place in the United States for allergies. And so... If we sound a little nasally, sorry. See, I was thinking we both sound a little sexier because we have like sore throats and hoarse voices. It's true. <laughs> like we've got the, our like uh, Roz from Frasier yes. thing going on. <laughs> Otherwise, I just sound really nasally. I hope that it's more Roz than nasally, but who knows? <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, allergy season is in full effect. I wish that there was a horror movie about allergies and I can't think of one off the top of my head but that would be hilarious hereditary kind of oh man that's a deep cut oh yeah yikes Uh, yeah but seasonal allergies yeah rather than like peanut allergies yeah somebody needs to make like a revenge of the ragweed or night of the cottonwood or something I mean, I guess you could say The Happening is kind of a seasonal allergy kind movie. Of, yeah. But bit. nobody talks about that because otherwise the movie is pretty bad. Yeah. It's not even like campy bad. It's just. It's not like full moon bad. No. Like lovable bad. Yeah. That's a bummer. Full moon should make a movie about allergies. All right. So let's write Charles Band. Who I think lives in Ohio now. Really? Yeah. All those mansions, and he lives in Ohio. Yeah. That's a little disappointing. <laughs> like, all these mansions, and, and you're like, yes, Ohio is the place this I will go. This is the place for me. <laughs> That's so weird. But maybe we write him a letter, just a nice, friendly letter, and say, listen, we need you to adapt the happening and make it a full Charles Band, like yes. full moon movie. Yes, with puppets of some kind. Yeah, I feel like the Puppet Master puppets would have to come in somewhere. That'd or, be fine. Didn't he do the baby one? The evil baby? What is that? Doll, Dolly Dearest? Yeah, and Demonic Toys. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. any of those. Somehow wrap in dolls or puppets with seasonal allergies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ginger Dead Man would show up at some point. Evil it's bong. all good. Yeah. Maybe we could get Darcy the Male Girl. Yeah. She could help us with seasonal allergies, I'm I sure. I it's a great idea. <laughs> so relatable, too. Everybody's got seasonal allergies. Well, not everybody, but lots of people Everybody have here does. <laughs> That's true. Anyways, the movie that we're talking about today has nothing to do with seasonal allergies. No, not at all. <laughs> but that's just a cross-section into our lives yeah. as podcasters. Going through our first allergy season as a real-life podcast. Yes, we managed to launch right after fall allergy season, so yes, it's all new for us. Halls, if you would like to sponsor our podcast, we're open. Yeah, puffs, <laughs> Kleenex, same thing. <laughs> yes. We're down. Exactly. Filtrate air thingies, what are the filters for your air conditioner? If there's companies that make giant bubbles over your house. Yeah, <laughs> to prevent- I, I would like my own hamster ball <laughs> to exist in. Yes. Anyways. Anyway, to the matter at hand. <laughs> Today, we are talking about a Netflix original movie called The Perfection. It was released in 2018. I think it kind of slid under the radar a little bit. Definitely. Definitely didn't get a wide release. I know the first time I watched it, which this is once again a movie that I've seen <laughs> that Juliet hasn't seen. I promise we're going to fix that soon. Uh, next time we will fix that, actually. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So that's exciting. We also are doing this movie because this episode is going to air during Pride Month. So um, another reason why we picked this is because there is a queer romance front and center in the movie. So happy Pride Month to everybody. It has Allison Williams in it, which she was kind of just like fresh off the press of Get Out, Mm -hmm. um, being one of the main characters in Get Out. And then we also have Logan Browning as Lizzie. So there's Charlotte played by Allison Williams, and then Logan Browning, who plays Lizzie. Lizzie hasn't been in... She hadn't been in anything 
like really super popular prior to this coming out. This was kind of her launch board, but she was in um, the Bratz movie. If oh, you've seen okay. that in 2007. Okay. Which I did not see. I did not see. And she was on um, the show Dear White People that Netflix also did. Oh, okay. That so, was great. Yeah. Steven Weber also is in this movie. He played in the 1997 TV version of The Shining. He played John Torrance. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And he was also in Dracula Dead and Loving It. He played Harker <laughs> nice. in that. And he was in um, Single White Female. Little role in that. But so, yeah, that's what we're talking about today is the perfection. It's it's a lot. There's a it, lot going it is. on. Yeah. It's interesting that it came out in 2018 because I can't help but think about the parallels between it and Whiplash, which mm. came out in 2014. Granted, they go in completely different directions, but that sort of plot of the, you know, highly focused, highly competitive music conservatory atmosphere and the darker side of that, not just the abuse that happens, but also the pressure that is put on the young musicians. Obviously, these movies diverge into two totally different spaces. And Whiplash, this the show is just absolutely stolen by J.K. Simmons. Mm-hmm. But that sort of plot device is a jumping off point made me think of Whiplash as we were getting started with this one. I've never seen Whiplash. I know the broad strokes. It's intense. Um, I remember there was something I was seeing at the Neon. I saw a couple of movies in 2014, and every time there was a trailer Mm -hmm. for it, and I was like, this looks great. And then I just never got to see it. But I'll be really disappointed now if it doesn't end in the main character chopping off one of his hands. (laughs) Um, So he can't play drums anymore. But I'm pretty sure that's not what happens. No. And I know it won, like, a mess of awards. Yeah. Like, just tons of them. But this movie did not win any of those awards. No, definitely not. So, genre. What would you say this movie is? Is it, a, is it a pandemic film? Is it a revenge film? Is it a... Yeah, I guess it's a revenge film. I'm, I can't even think of anything else off the top of my head. Well, it's interesting because it's... Yes. <laughs> it's all of those things. I love that you mentioned a pandemic film because although this was filmed and released prior to the pandemic, um, wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, the fact that they are talking about it, some kind of airborne disease in China is kind of terrifying. Yeah. You know, as we know, COVID was first detected in China in Wuhan, which is uh, one of the areas that they were talking about. So that was kind of eerie. The interesting thing about that is, based on the setup of this movie, you think it's going to be some kind of either pandemic movie or zombie movie. Yeah. And I knew kind of nothing going into this. So I was like, okay, all right, I see where we're going. And then I was like, no, nope, (laughs) I don't see where we're going at all. Yeah. Which is kind of fun. Yeah. Perhaps it gave you whiplash. (laughs) Oh, God, that's... Uh, it's the cold medicine. Yeah, just blame it on that. <laughs> just blame it on that. You're right, though. This is a movie where we get the setup. Charlotte is a girl who has just come off of a very long jag of taking care of her sick and dying mother who has literally just died in front of her. And prior to taking care of her mother, she was a famous uh, cellist. And she went to a very exclusive school, but then she just kind of like set it aside while she was taking care of her mother. Now that her mother is dead, she can feel free to pursue whatever she wants to do. Mm -hmm. So she calls her um, former teacher and says, I want to hook back up with you guys. I'm interested in reentering the world. How do I do that? So she flies to Shanghai, and that's kind of where our story begins. She meets the new protege, Lizzie, who is um, helping them judge kind of a contest Mm -hmm. of three Chinese girls who are set to enter this school. And it seems like all of the girls play cello. Like, it's just a school for cellists. I didn't see any violin or, like, bass or anything, but... Yeah, it seems like it is just cello. It's like a specific conservatory for Mm -hmm. just cellists. Mm -hmm. And then Lizzie and Charlotte kind of like fall for one another very quickly, both having come from the same school, 
both having come from that very intense and work-driven lifestyle of professional classical musicians. So basically, they're like eating, sleeping, and breathing cello. And they sort of hook up. Mm -hmm. And um, then Lizzie's like, you know what? I'm taking a vacation. It's the first one in a long time. Do you want to come with me? Charlotte's like, sure, let's go. But unfortunately, they get wasted the night before. Lizzie wakes up and she's like, wow, I'm so hungover. And then things just like progressively get worse to the point where she's filled with bugs and she has to cut off her hand to get the bugs out, which what a turn. Like yeah. from yeah. from the beginning of the movie where you're like, there's cello and music and this, you know, competition. And then you've got this guy getting sick and they're like, it's an airborne. I, I think they say something about fever, like a compound fever or something. Yeah. They compared it at one point to Ebola. Yeah. Which terrifying. Uh, yeah. I mean, pre-COVID, Ebola was like mm-hmm. the, the hot word. Yeah. And now Ebola is still much more, I think, much deadlier than COVID is, but it's harder to get. Yeah. But still, like, terrifying, especially in those, like, really densely populated areas. That's super scary. And then you're like, okay, why would you, if there's a, you know, intense infection happening, why would you decide that you're going to (laughs) go out in the middle of nowhere in China and, like, go on a vacation? This is why I can I would never be able to just like let loose and be like, yeah, let's go to rural China. Yeah, I know. It's fascinating because they are talking about throughout the beginning of it when when the man gets sick at the recital. They're like, oh, yeah. And it's they set it up to be much more mysterious than it is mm-hmm. because some of the Chinese attendees at the recital are like, oh, it must be that you know, fever that's down in this province and they're very hush-hush about it. And Lizzie is asking some questions. She's like, well, but where is it? What's happening? They're like, oh yeah, there are a lot of cases in this one area. And I'm like, zombies, (laughs) zombies, it's zombies. Yeah. Um, And I agree. It's like, these are the type of things that make me like terrified to travel slash leave my house ever. (laughs) Um, Where I'm just like, okay, yeah, well, we're all gonna get something. (laughs) Well, that and like not knowing the language, not knowing much of the language, yeah, being in a place where maybe you don't have cell reception or you're not familiar with the area or you don't have anywhere close that you could go to in case of an emergency. They're all things like very real. And I think as femme presenting people, even tougher because you'd basically, I mean, the fact, like the reality of situations and and being in smaller towns is that sometimes women are not treated very well mm-hmm. and femme presenting people aren't treated very well it makes it much harder to navigate and you really have to have your head on a swivel if yeah. you don't have a protective person or m- even somebody to help you navigate the language right right it would be tough i mean you i guess we see this a lot in movies but you're kind of opening yourself up to be have you know be taken advantage of Mm -hmm. um you're i shouldn't say you're not opening yourself up to that it becomes easier for that to happen yeah and especially in an emergency situation where you're already frantic and you're trying to get help and you're relying on the fact that you have to trust other people and sometimes that trust can lead to even more problems as opposed to solutions to the problems you know when you're relying on the good faith of others to get you through a situation. You just have to hope that they're also acting in good faith. Yeah. And if not, especially in a place like that, like the stakes are so high, Mm -hmm. you could, (laughs) I hate to refer to this movie, but you could like find yourself in a broke down palace situation where, where you're like in prison or Mm -hmm. in a homeless shelter Well, we almost think that that's going to happen because when they're on the bus, when Lizzie is getting very, very ill and what we eventually find out, she's hallucinating, Mm -hmm. um, but she's acting very strangely. Charlotte is getting worked up, getting very upset. They don't speak the language. It gets very adversarial with Charlotte and the bus driver. Mm -hmm. And that did cross my mind at one point, like, 
Charlotte is trying to get Lizzie to help, but she and the bus driver keep arguing and she's like screaming at him to pull over the bus because she's trying to help, you know, this person that she cares about. And it's like, how easy would it be for her to end up being hauled off to jail for being, you know, harassing the bus driver? Right. Especially because they're just speaking in loud voices at one another. Like Mm -hmm. they don't understand what the other person is saying or feeling or Maybe the bus driver is trying to help and he's like, just listen, like 10 minutes we'll be in this city, you know, and you can get help. And she's like, no, pull over the bus because Lizzie's like needs to use the bathroom right now. So the language barrier there makes everything like ratchets up that tension. Mm -hmm. So we have this cool setting. We've got this like desperate setting and then things go totally off the rails. Yeah. (laughs) About like. 30, 40 minutes in. Mm-hmm. It just veers left so hard. Yeah. <laughs> when I saw this the first time, I thought this is going to be... Because as Lizzie progressively gets sicker, she starts vomiting. Her stomach is very upset. She says that the, her uh, head is on fire. And there's a point where she gets sick inside the bus. And Charlotte goes, oh, my God, are those bugs? And there's, like, bugs in her vomit. And... She starts seeing things crawling under her skin. She gets off the bus. It's worse. It's There's like actual bugs and not just maggots in her vomit. There's bugs like busting out of her skin. And then all of a sudden, Charlotte's like, you know what? You have to do it. And she whips out a butcher knife. And you're and like, you're wait, like, what? Where did she get this? Like the brakes just full on like mm-hmm. skrr. <laughs> like you can hear the brakes squeal for sure. Yeah. What were you thinking at that moment when she busted out that butcher knife? Well, I said out loud. I was like, where did that come from? (laughs) I was like, what is happening here? She's not a butcher. Yeah. Like, where did she? And then I was like, wait, did somebody on the bus hand it to her? Because as they were exiting the bus, we saw some people handed them water. I thought, well, maybe somebody handed it to her like i don't know why somebody else has a butcher knife on the bus either but maybe somebody handed it to her because they're out in the middle of nowhere so they can protect themselves from wild animals or zombies like maybe the people on the bus know something we don't like Mm -hmm. i was real into this zombie idea (laughs) and um yeah no that's not at all what happened yeah at all so Charlotte busts out this meat cleaver. I keep calling it a butcher knife. It's not a butcher knife. It's a meat cleaver. Like full on bone chopping meat cleaver. And she tells Lizzie that she knows what she has to do. And Lizzie just takes the meat cleaver to her arm and cuts off her hand. And then there's this like really cool rewind situation. Mm-hmm. So the the viewer can get kind of caught up. Which sometimes I think that the rewind thing can be campy, especially when they do it literally, like where they yeah like, they're moving backwards. Yeah, mm-hmm. it can look kind of campy, but I didn't think it was too bad in this one. No, it, it it served the purpose it needed to. Yeah, and so we see what actually is happening is Charlotte has been drugging Lizzie this entire mm-hmm. time with her mom's um, medicine that she had been taking. And she kind of feeds this idea to Lizzie as they go on this trip that she has bugs on her. Mm-hmm. And then she's the one who points out the bugs and the vomit. There's not bugs. There's never been bugs. Yeah, there were no bugs. She's not infected with any sort of illness. Charlotte just kind of fed her that idea and it gets to a fever pitch and... Uh, She causes Lizzie to cut off her hand. And then you also find out that Charlotte is jealous. Mm -hmm. What we think at that point is that Charlotte is jealous of Lizzie's success, that Charlotte had to give all of the success up to care for her mother, that Lizzie has the fame, fortune, notoriety, and talent that she could have had. So we think at this point, okay, she met her, wooed her, you know, had this whole evening with her, and now out of jealousy, she causes her to cut off her hand, rendering Lizzie unable to continue with this life and kind of dooms her to anonymity because when she goes back to this conservatory school, they're basically like, yeah, we don't really have a place for you. You can't teach. We have all the teachers we need. You can't do much with one hand, so goodbye. Yeah. And I wanted to touch on a little bit 
the disposability yeah. of Lizzie in this because it's not something that they really dwell on for very long because there's a lot of moving parts in this movie mm-hmm. and they just kind of have to keep trucking. But I think that this is something that is more common and relatable than we want to acknowledge is oh, that yeah. folks who are disabled or who become disabled via, you know, whatever the case may be. It's very easy for able-bodied people to say, we don't have a place for you anymore. They, yeah. can't, they can't make accommodations or they won't make accommodations because absolutely she could be a teacher. In fact, she could be a super effective teacher, mm-hmm. having been somebody who played. Often there are, I mean, conductors, teachers who don't themselves play. Right. They're more composers or arrangers. She absolutely could be a great teacher. And she points that out. She rattles off all of these different ways in which she could be useful. Everything from very important roles in classical music to, you know, at the very end, she says, I'll, I'll even clean the toilets. You know, I just want to stay here. I think that is in part about her usefulness. And I also think, especially by the time we get to the end of the film and we know more about this school, I think a lot of it too is about the image that they are trying to project. Like, what does it say about this exclusive cello conservatory to have someone who is missing a hand, you know, teaching, training, conducting, etc. It doesn't fit the image that they're trying to portray. And I think that Lizzie, although they never state this, just based on what I know about the classical music world, and it's changing a little bit, certainly, but traditionally, the classical music world is a very white space, too. And Lizzie is black. So she's already, you know, an oddity in that world, by and large, in the traditional conservatory system. And then her disability, I think it's just too many strikes against her in this very white, very image-driven world that we're getting of classical music. And of course, this is prior to all of the things that are revealed about the school later on. Mm -hmm. The first time I wasn't really thinking about it in terms of her disposability, Mm -hmm. I just thought, oh, well, this is just another thing, because it really makes no sense for them to get rid of her. She's not a student anymore. Mm -hmm. And she's no longer, I mean, she's still learning, I guess you could say, as like a lifelong student of music, but she's no longer taking a space for a student. Right, Um, right. So it really doesn't make any sense for them not to find a role for her there. Even if she was not a teacher, she could be a liaison, she could be... Mm -hmm kind of like a house mother. I hate using that term because I think it sounds really pedantic. But, you know, like somebody that the girls could go to, like an RA. Yeah, sort of. exactly, Or anything. Travel coordinator. Who even knows? This place is like clearly made for rich people. Well, their whole thing, though, is about perfection. And she is now imperfect. That's true. That's true. The movie is called The Perfection. Mm. You're right. (laughs) Well, and I wonder, you know, on the one hand... You wonder about her and you wonder about Charlotte, why there wasn't concern that they would reveal all of the things that went down at the school. Mm -hmm. But I think that they also just viewed Lizzie as simultaneously too loyal and too broken Mm -hmm. to betray them. Yeah. So there wasn't a need to keep her around to keep the secrecy of everything. Sure. Yeah, like they don't have the sort of Damocles to kind of hang over mm-hmm. her because they can't make her successful. There's no reason for them to continue with her because basically she could just die in anonymity now. Yeah, and well, they could gaslight her too if she ever exactly. went to the press. I mean, there are so many... I know that some people have cited this film, and I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit as being kind of a being analogous to Harvey Weinstein. And I can't help but think about Rose McGowan Mm -hmm. when I think about this movie, you know, in that if she ever, if Lizzie were to ever speak publicly, they would just gaslight her and say, well, you're this disgraced former cello player. Right. You're just doing this for attention because you have nothing else. You're crazy. Yeah. Look at all these Mm -hmm. things that you've Mm -hmm. said. Because the other part of it is if she was like, oh, this girl drugged me and made me think I had bugs in my arm and so I cut off my hand. Who would believe that story? That's improbable. I mean, I don't know anybody who was on drugs and cut off their hand. Now that I'm thinking about it, I know 
a lot worse, but <laughs> yeah. But you know, like it it's not a story that people would reasonably think right would be true. Right. Because it would be easier to think, oh, she did that to herself for attention or she couldn't handle the pressure of fame. When you're at that level of fame and I think we've all heard stories of people who have achieved a certain level of fame or notoriety, and then they've kind of freaked out. Yeah. Charlie Sheen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. when he was younger. Exactly. Mark Wahlberg. Mm-hmm. Just hitting a certain level of fame, freaking out, or doing something that you know is going to cause you to have consequences but yet still doing it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that you could just kind of write Lizzie off as being like another person and people, uh, it would be very easy at that high level of competition to say, yeah, of course she couldn't handle it. Look at where she is. And especially with her being a woman, because we just named three men. Oh yeah. Two of which have had really, and I mean like more power to them, really awesome redemption arcs. Yeah. Britney Spears is the flip side of that, who's, like, finally getting her moment and, like, yay, Britney. But also, like, how long did it take her, you know, being under court-ordered control of a man to be able to regain her autonomy and have her redemption? Yeah. And so with Lizzie being a woman, I think, yeah, you know, the people in control were kind of banking on that. Oh, yeah. And so much easier to just cut her off and say, yeah. we'll just bury you under a mountain of bad press. Mm-hmm. And also, I'm sure in the music world, being a very famous world-renowned cellist is a big deal in that community. Mm-hmm. But to the layperson, aside from Yo-Yo Ma, like how many other cellists can you name off the top of your head? Yeah, very few, especially non-vocalist classical stars ever break out, you know? Exactly. I mean, everybody that I can think of other than Yo-Yo Ma that is in the classical world is a singer. Mm-hmm. Andrea Bocelli, Josh Groban, Sarah Brightman, yep. Charlotte Church, et cetera, et cetera. You have these groups like Bond that was popular in like the late 90s that kind of had a moment. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, on the instrumental side, it's very within that world. Yeah. I mean, Kenny G, but he's not a cellist, you know? Yeah, like, and he's not really classical either. That's true. He's more contemporary, jazz, yeah. jazz easy listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, like, who would care? Right. If she took her story to some, you know, newspaper or something like that, they would say, who are you? Mm-hmm. You know? So, very easy to be buried But I also wanted to bring up, since we're talking about competition here, Mm -hmm. have you ever, me, I am not a competitive person. I participated in choir for like a handful of years, never had any sort of like musical competition though, or anything I ever had to fight for or like practice Mm -hmm. for. And that was kind of because I didn't want to fail. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) I'm not going to set myself up for failure. Therefore, I will not do anything. (laughs) Um, That's fair. I mean, I did German club. It was fine. But anyways, did you ever participate in any like musical or otherwise like competition? Yeah, actually. And I thought of a few more because you asked me this as we were watching it. Yeah. I mean, I auditioned for college, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, I did uh, auditions. And that was a whole thing, um, an experience I never want to relive ever in my life. But I, you know, yeah, I did a lot of auditioning. I did a little bit of competitions, like musical theater competitions. Mm-hmm. Um, I placed really high in one, and it was a whole thing. But yeah, that world is wild. Um, and this was this was musical theater, so it's a little different than classical music. And I never did the super intense competitions. Um, because I didn't want to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they kind of scared me. And even the, like, the college audition process was pretty, pretty stressful in a kind of awful way. So when I was auditioning for college, I got all this advice from all these, like, different, like, coaches and teachers and stuff. And they were like, well, the schools you're auditioning for, they see so many students a day, like, for auditions. And, you know, everybody wants to be in their programs. So what you shouldn't do is you shouldn't sing 
the same songs that everybody's going to sing. You should sing something really obscure. Worst advice I have ever gotten in my life. Is there, oh, no. If there's anybody listening that's ever auditioning for anything, <laughs> choose your strongest material. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. I blew all of my college auditions because of that. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. Well, in my mind, I'm thinking like, okay, obscure would stand out. But if you're doing something that you're really strong at, technically, mm-hmm. yeah, that is going to be better than doing something obscure. Because what if they're not familiar with the material? Yeah. I don't know if that's a thing, but that's well, just what I'm thinking of. Yeah. I mean, it's supposed to be that like your skills will wow them you know that your skills should wow them no matter what and they don't want to hear the same song that they've heard like in six auditions but also like i don't know i didn't do cabaret which i can like kick ass on (laughs) and i did like some so i can't even tell you what i auditioned with in college because i don't i don't even know because it was like some crap i didn't you know had no meaning to me either so yeah yeah, don't don't do that oh it's raining (laughs) yeah it's raining really hard yeah i can't even fathom i yeah i like <laughs> the only thing i've ever done competitively to like would be like submitting my writing mm-hmm. and even then i just kind of like throw it in the dark and i'm just like yeah don't ever talk to me about this again <laughs> yeah like, i mean it's the same me. kind of thing like i've been in plenty of like gatherings of writers where they're like if you're gonna submit to this like you know editors are so tired of seeing this this and this and i'm just like you know what just Send them whatever you feel yeah. good about. Don't, like, break yourself. No. To, yeah. No. Don't fundamentally change what it is you do. And if they don't like what you do, then it's not a good fit for you. Yeah. So this movie, like, it goes from being a kind of a pandemic slash creature slash maybe zombie horror movie to a revenge mm-hmm. to a double revenge like yeah. i don't even know what you would call that double revenge or i don't yeah i don't even know like what the proper progression of that would be because at first you think charlotte getting revenge on lizzie and then you realize that there is a very long part of the movie where we're kind of stuck in that we're, we're stuck at first that Charlotte is getting revenge on Lizzie for being better than her. Mm -hmm. And it does seem like that. She causes her to lose her cello career. But then we see what actually has happened is Charlotte, by way of very intense therapy, electroshock therapy, suicide attempt, Mm -hmm. has realized that the cello school has broken her. And brainwashed her into thinking that the things that she's willing to do for competition is okay and is right and is necessary in order to achieve that perfection. Mm -hmm. And so she undid that sort of brainwashing. And the only way that she could get Lizzie, who is now as important to her, to get out of that same sort of brainwash is to break her. Mm -hmm. So it took a suicide attempt and a lot of really nasty therapy for Charlotte to break out. It took Lizzie losing her arm to break out. And then they together go after the leader of the school. I can't even remember what the name of the school is, but the leader of the school's name is Anton. (laughs) Anton and his partner Paloma. And then the other two teachers, who are Theus and Jeffrey. So the two of them kind of band together to take Jeffrey, Theus, and Anton down. And I guess Paloma too. Yeah, because she was in on it. And I mean, complicit. Yeah. Although it did strike me, I don't know if you caught on to this too, it seems like Paloma probably was a former student as well. Yes. Yeah, I think so. That's what I thought too. Mm -hmm. So Charlotte and Lizzie banded together are going to go after Jeffrey, Theus, Anton, and Paloma. Because what's revealed over time is that in order to force these girls into a state of what they called quote-unquote perfection, the ability to play this very complicated piece of music is that they would rape them. They would gang rape the girls if they couldn't do it. And it sounds like the boys too, because Mm -hmm. Anton says... 
it's the way my father taught me and mm. Jeffrey and Theus too. Yeah. So I think it was all of them. It just so happens that we never see any right. boys in the school aside from the teachers. Right. All of the current students, all of the people in the photos, they're all women, but theoretically there have been men at some point in time. What a sort of like twisted mind situation that in order to force these girls into being perfect, you have to subject them unwillingly to your body mm-hmm. and their hatred of you and what you're doing to them and your body is what forces them to try and do better. Maybe the piece of music, and I don't know because I am not a musician, but maybe the piece of music is like so unrelentingly difficult that it wouldn't matter they could be holding them over hot coals and they still wouldn't be able to do it or it would take a long time or like, you know, only a handful of times out of like 500, would you be able to do it right? But I was just thinking, why, what kind of like weird self-loathing do you Mm -hmm. have to like hoops that you have to jump through in order to say, yes, I will force myself on these women and girls because it's even underage girls in order for them to hate me enough to do better. It's a really screwed up view of art and the artistic process and art being kind of higher than self and like the kind of weird ways like, you know, I think about other movies that examine this like Art School Confidential, which I absolutely love. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's kind of examination of that in the visual arts world. I even think about, like, we just saw um, David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future, and it has a lot to say, too, about, like, how far do we go for art and an artistic experience? And when we push really, really far, you know, can we ever push far enough to be satisfied? Or will we always be pushing into some very unsafe or scary or questionable places for the sake of this kind of higher form of art that, Mm -hmm. you know, when you talk to people that view art in that way, the best artists, and this doesn't always have to be a bad thing, like the best artists view what it is they do as, you know, channeling something beyond humanity, as Mm -hmm. communing with whether it's God or the great beyond or the universe or like whatever. And that can be very beautiful and very wonderful, but it can also be very, very toxic. Yeah. As, as we see in this movie and in some of the others I just mentioned. Yeah. Anton even mentions that is that how can you get close to God if your music is not approaching perfection or is not the perfection? Yeah. Which was an interesting thing to throw in there because otherwise the movie is not religious at all. Right. I think the music is the religion. Mm, That makes sense. Tough subject matter, for Mm -hmm. sure, in this movie. But I do think that although we're faced with some tough imagery towards the end of the movie, there are very grotesque and rough um, Mm -hmm. discussions of abuse in the movie. Although they do a good job of keeping the sort of like worst bits of it sort of off screen. Yeah. Which I don't know if that was to make it more palatable for Netflix in terms of, you know, watchability. Yeah, that's a good question. Because, I mean, Lizzie says some pretty messed up stuff to Charlotte Mm -hmm. um, because there's a point when the two of them are kind of in cahoots where Charlotte is what we think is she's about to be raped but what's actually happened is Lizzie has poisoned Jeffrey and Theus and she says some really hardcore stuff to Charlotte and I had forgotten that in between watching it the last time and this time and I was like geez that's pretty rough but she doesn't we don't see anything. Right. We, it's only like suggested. Mm-hmm. I feel like they did a good job of kind of towing the line of like, it is intense and it is grotesque what is happening to these women and some of the things that they do in order to um, exact their revenge. But at the same time, it's not enough. It's not stomach turning enough that you're like, I can't handle this. Yeah. I really appreciated that it was. It was very clear, like there was no question in my mind what was happening, you know, by the time they sort of 
revealed the plot of it um, with the school and with Anton. I mean, even before you were already suspecting it. But when it came time in the story to confirm our suspicions for the plot to move forward, it was very clear. And yet they did a really great job of like these fast cut, blurry flashbacks where you could fill in the rest, but you didn't have to see it. And I appreciate that because unlike Antlers, Mm -hmm. for example, that like straight up showed you kind of all the way up to the line, this made it very clear what was happening without being, and your mileage may vary on this, but it wasn't like super triggering like Antlers was, where like I was just like, oh God. Yeah. You know, this was like, okay, I can understand intellectually what's happening here. And I'm excited to see how our very confusing protagonists, we don't even know which one is the protagonist at this point, how they're going to get out of it. Or I'm really excited to see them get their revenge because you kind of knew that they had to be coming towards some kind of culmination in revenge. Yeah. Again, like different than Antlers, which was not steeped in revenge at all. You definitely knew. And it was comforting in that too, that in the reveal, you're like, all right, we're heading toward somebody is going to get their revenge on Anton. I don't know who it's going to be at this point, but somebody is. Yeah, there are multiple points in this movie, like cruxes, where you're like, I know that this is probably going to have a satisfying resolve, but you don't know who exactly right. is going to get it. Right. Ultra satisfying, at least in my opinion, though, that it's both of them. Mm-hmm. We don't meet any of the other women who have graduated from this school. We see that... It's just the two of them, as far as we know, that are like the super successful protégés, at least per Anton's discussion earlier in the movie. And perhaps Thea and Jeffrey, but who knows? Yeah. But the only two successful women that we see from this are the ones that end up getting, mm-hmm. um, getting their revenge on Anton. That is probably the most gruesome imagery in the mm-hmm. entire movie is what happens to Anton. There's a epic fight and Lizzie, obviously, you know, she has only one hand, so it's tougher, but Charlotte, um, the two of them are attacking Anton. They've killed Paloma. They've, they've poisoned Jeffrey and, and Theus and he is, Anton's able to get a knife and he stabs Lizzie in the arm and kind of just cuts all the way down her forearm so later in the movie, we see that Charlotte has, I said Lizzie, Charlotte got stabbed in the arm. And we la- see later in the movie that Charlotte um, has had her arm amputated. Mm-hmm. Theoretically, it's probably was useless anyways. That he cut through a lot of important items. Yeah. But Anton, the revenge that they exact on Anton is they've amputated his arms and legs They've sewn his eyes and mouth shut, and they're forcing him to listen as the two of them, together, compensating for the loss of the other, play the perfection for him. And I was like, this is the most messed up of Mm -hmm. all of the the imagery, Mm -hmm. but it's satisfying in its gruesomeness. Yeah. Because what more could you want? Mm-hmm. than to see somebody who has tortured so many women brought low yeah, to a point where he can't care for himself, he can't move, he can't see, he can't speak. He's constantly forced to undergo that t- same torture, you know, mm-hmm. literally paralyzed. Yeah. I mean, I guess not literally paralyzed, but figuratively paralyzed and forced to just do whatever the two of them want. Which, I also wonder what happens to the school after that. Like, are they like, no. we're the new owners. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it that was intense. Yeah, I thought the image of the two of them playing at the very end was one of those, like, horrifyingly beautiful things. Like, them, them sitting together almost as one being because of their proximity and Charlotte using one arm and Lizzie using the other to both bow and do the strings on the cello. It was beautiful and yet like really horrific. And they were both um, like one was wearing, Charlotte was wearing black, Mm -hmm. Lizzie was wearing white. So clearly like yin and yang thing, Mm -hmm. the dark and the light. 
And a contrast to the beginning when they're playing together, um, they are invited to play together at the recital kind of very last minute. Mm -hmm. And um, Lizzie is using a, a very darker wood cello and Charlotte is using a lighter wood cello. And you get this kind of light and dark, both with the instruments and with their skin tone, this kind of, you know, magnetic opposites. Yeah. And it seems that they have a successful relationship still. It's like a trauma bonding. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which I mean, for better or for worse, but right. I mean, they've been through some stuff. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Overall though, this movie has a lot of switchbacks. Yeah. It's got a lot going on. It's much deeper than the surface would, would indicate. Mm-hmm. But I think what strikes me the most about this film is that it's about the compartments that we build around trauma mm-hmm. in order to keep pushing ourselves towards success because we're kind of in a capitalist society and also in the art world, I think we are driven towards the end goal of quote unquote success, Mm -hmm. which is notoriety, fame, fortune, the ability to travel, to do what you love all the time. And obviously both Lizzie and Charlotte having experienced the same thing at this school of being raped and child abuse molestation they are able to compartmentalize that and push that aside and still somehow find the ability to work with Anton Mm -hmm. on a day-to-day basis I don't know now I'm obviously a grown-ass woman at this Mm -hmm. point there is no way that I could do that now but I'm also an adult, and I haven't been groomed. Yeah, to it's be, grooming. Yeah, That's exactly what it is. Yeah, but I could not do that. So I have a hard time putting myself in the shoes. And I think viewers, there are probably a lot of viewers who would also be like, "How could you do that? How could mm-hmm. you work with somebody like that?" I can't put myself in those in their shoes, but I can absolutely understand how we do that in other ways, smaller mm-hmm. ways. On a day-to-day basis. I mean, how many times have you decided, like, or you, you know, the royal you, have you decided to keep the peace versus, Mm -hmm. you know, just compartmentalize that thing away so that you can just keep going towards whatever end goal you have? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like, a bad job. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or with, I mean, with so many things. And I think also... I don't want to just pin this on the artistic world because I think we see this in athletes too. I mean, when you look at like the Larry Nassar case, Mm -hmm. you have these young people who are obviously very special. Mm -hmm. They have a skill, a very special skill, you know, skills that I do not possess. The Um, average, the layman does not possess. Skills that make them extraordinary and skills that they are presumably pursuing because they find joy in in doing those things. And I know even that gets a little tricky sometimes because when we talk about kids starting anything from these increasingly alarmingly young ages and being set on this path, this trajectory, whether it's elite athletes or artists, musicians, etc., I get real kind of weirded out by that, you know, mm-hmm. that you're setting your sometimes three and four-year-old on a professional path. Mm -hmm. Anyway, (laughs) that's a whole other thing. However, one would presume, and I think we see this in Charlotte and Lizzie, that despite all of the grooming, they do love to play. Mm -hmm. And they do find meaning and joy and a lot of fulfillment in this music Mm -hmm. and in both sharing and listening to music. When you when they first meet and you hear them talk about listening to each other playing mm-hmm. and, you know, they both talk about how the other hearing the other play has resonated with them very deeply in their hearts. And I think some of that is the shared trauma too. But I also think, you know, it's something about the way that music can sometimes say things that we can't verbalize. Mm-hmm. But I think that that also can sometimes make it easier 
to compartmentalize and to be manipulated and groomed in this case because you love this thing so much. Sure. And you're good at this thing. And if your end point is always success and never pleasure. Yep. Then it's easy to kind of like shove these feelings or, you know, knowing that these things are bad or that you shouldn't be doing them or that they shouldn't be done to you. It's easier to push them aside because you're like, my endpoint is just there. And if I just get through this, then all I need is to just keep pushing. Mm-hmm. Rather than saying, I do this because I love it, not simply for success, you know. And we have certainly in, you know, Western American capitalist culture, we have this very dangerous, dangerous phrase, which is, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And I think that that unfortunately has been used to (laughs) justify a lot of bad behavior, a lot of abuse, and just a lot of like, denial of the fact that even if you love what you do like work is hard yeah and you can you can love the act of doing something and hate the circumstances in which you're doing it totally and i think certainly you know these women have been fed that idea too like you love this music everything you're doing is to justify sharing this music that you love and you're so good at and like well that doesn't mean they have to put up with abuse right and like from somebody maybe not at that high of a level, they would say, well, who wouldn't want that, you know, right. that level of fame and notoriety right. and fortune, I'm assuming, money as well. But if you look at what you have, to, the price you have to pay to get it, mm-hmm. would you still want it? Right. And obviously nobody knows. Yeah, it's gross. Quick shout out, Allison Williams and Logan Browning, who played um, Charlotte and Lizzie, respectively, actually learned how to play cello for the scenes in the movie which is why they look so convincingly good is because they're actually playing that's awesome i don't know if the sounds that are playing like if the music that is playing is actually them i would assume not only because that is like super high level cello playing yeah but still the fact that they learned to convincingly to look like they were playing is fantastic yeah it's it's truly an achievement. I mean, I know that there's, like, people who learn how to play guitar for certain roles mm-hmm. and things like that, which super cool. I think guitar is a more accessible instrument to pick up and learn, though, and a, a bit easier. Depends on the style you're portraying. Yeah. But cello, that's pretty intense and very specific because how many other cello movies do you think that Allison Williams and Logan Browning will be in? Yeah. (laughs) Where they have to actually convincingly play. I wonder if either of them has since played, like if they enjoyed playing or just, you know, play for themselves now after learning for this role. It'd be interesting to know. Yeah, I would like to know that. I don't know. I just, I only went as far as, did they actually play? (laughs) Because even if they were not actually touching the strings with the bow, they look, like, Mm -hmm. very convincing. Yeah. So kudos to them for taking the time to learn something that maybe they'll never, ever do again in order to do this role for this movie. Um, Because we love a a movie where there's been a little bit of work (laughs) put into the background of it. And maybe, too, uh, gave them kind of an idea of how hard it is to play. Um, Maybe a little bit deeper insight into the character. Mm -hmm. And I think those scenes where they are playing together, the playing tells such a story. Mm -hmm. And that is, in part, the music itself and in part, the physicality Mm -hmm. and the way that it's shot, the way we're seeing their bodies and their faces in synchronization with each other you know we see them play together a couple of times in the movie and we also see charlotte play on her own you know there's no dialogue in those scenes it's just music and the person playing or the people playing and it really does tell a story in a really beautiful way and obviously to be able to act that takes a lot of work Mm -hmm. i'm glad that we watched this i was telling juliet right before we started recording this isn't the best movie I've ever seen about. No. It's not the best horror movie I've ever seen about music. Um, 
Although I can't think of what would be better right now off the top of my head. I mean... <laughs> I guess you I, could say Phantom of the Opera, but it's not really oh, a re- oh, about well, music. Depends on what version of Phantom <laughs> I have a lot of opinions about Phantom I, of the I, Opera movies. I was like, maybe I shouldn't bring up Phantom. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that you did, and I oh, still brought I it up. so many opinions. <laughs> um, no, it's funny, because then I go in a... To- it's funny, because you go, like, real, uh, real high art, and I'm like... The best horror movie about music is Trick or Treat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, Trick or Treat's great. It's pretty great. Um, trick or Treat. Wait, no, Trick no. or Treat. Yeah, not Trick or yeah, Treat. Okay. Not Michael Doherty. Yes. Um, Sammy Kerr. Sammy Kerr, right. But yeah, like, it's definitely not the best one I've ever seen. And it's certainly not even my favorite Allison Williams film or my favorite Netflix film. But it's a movie that has a ton to say. It does. And it keeps you on your toes. Mm-hmm. And there's something to be said about a movie that keeps you guessing. Yeah. In and, a way that makes sense. And it's distinctly feminist in its examination of this story. I really appreciated that Charlotte has a speech, you know, sort of when everything is sort of coming out and the sort of how everything happened is coming out. In a flashback, we see her talking to Lizzie and you know, telling her why she did what she did. And she just says very, very plainly in a way I appreciated where she just said, you know, it was rape, like Mm -hmm. straight up, like it wasn't training. It wasn't anything magical or mystical about music. It was rape. And to hear that just so clearly articulated in a film was really refreshing. Like, we're just going to say the thing that needs to be said. And so I like that. And yeah, it wasn't the best film on earth, but I really appreciate the frankness with which they addressed some of the overarching topics. Yeah. And those are the type of topics that we need to see in movies Mm -hmm. and in creative ways in which you can apply them. Also, this uh, director... Uh, Richard Shepard, who did this movie, did several episodes of Girls, that HBO oh, series. Okay. And that's where he worked with Allison Williams, was on those episodes of Girls. And he also directed several episodes of The Handmaid's Tale. Oh, okay. So definitely a lot of feminist work mm-hmm. in his um, in his CV. So it makes sense. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's not all he's done, though, because he also did Zoe's Extraordinary Christmas Mm, okay. I don't know what that is. <laughs> it's a, te- a Christmas movie for teenagers. Oh. It looks like it's probably a Hallmark movie, so. Aw, that's nice. Sometimes you gotta do heavy stuff, and then you gotta do a couple Hallmark, Hallmark movies to yeah. kind of w- wash your sins away. Yeah. And then you can get back to the, you know. To the dark stuff. Yeah, the yeah. dark stuff. So, yeah. The perfection. The perfection. <laughs> perfection. Our yes. episode was perfection. <laughs> Chef's kiss. I think next we we're still covering Midnight Mass. Not quite yeah. done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have two episodes of Midnight Mass to go. Oh my gosh! So we'll we'll be we'll be wrapping that up, and then we'll probably take a brief pause on bonus stuff because we have to do a little planning. But we have other bonus stuff in what? the works. No, much never. More. <laughs> <laughs> all of it. All of it. Yay! And then. The first movie in a while that <laughs> that I've I seen that you seen. haven't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Next time, because our next movie episode will be coming out on July Fourth. What better way to, uh, you know, celebrate this patriotic holiday than with the Purge election year? My favorite of the Purge <laughs> movies, and one I haven't seen. I've I've seen uh, the first Purge, or no, no, no. I saw chronologically, like in real time. The Purge. That's the first one, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, you can't say the first purge because that's yeah, the name of a movie. Exactly. <laughs> but I did also see the first Purge with you. Yep. Um, you saw the Forever Purge. Forever Purge, yep. With me, yep. And did you see Anarchy, the second one? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, I don't think so. That's the first one with Frank Grillo, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. No, I have not seen that one either. Only and I only recently saw The Purge. Oh, <laughs> so with Ethan Hawke. Yeah, I mean, I obviously knew the like the premise of the movie because there have been somehow multiple instances where 
real purges have been threatened. Yeah. In real life. Yeah. What? We should definitely talk about that. Yeah, we will talk about that. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. We, we have bon- more bonus stuff that's happening, post-Midnight Mass bonus mm-hmm. stuff, and mm-hmm. my mind's blown. It's going to be really exciting. Yeah. And big summer ahead. Lots Yay. of good stuff coming. But next time, the purge election year. Woo! Thanks for listening to Attack of the Final Girls. Find us online at attackofthefinalgirls.com. We are Attack of the Final Girls on Instagram and TikTok and Final Girls Pod on Twitter. Our theme music is by House Ghost and is available on Rad Girlfriend Records. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting app so you don't miss an episode and rate and review on Apple Podcasts so more people can find the show. I'm Juliet. And I'm Teresa. Until next time, stay scary. Stay scary.